Uh, we've been in a teaching series straight out of the Psalms, and today, if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 139. But before we get there, I have a question for you. So, you need a pen or uh, something to write with, you need something to write on. Uh, if you need to use your electronic device to uh, type something in, you're welcome to do so. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question, and I want you to somehow write down, record your answer. All right, everybody ready? You got your pen, you got your pencil, you're ready to take a note in your phone. Here is the question. I want you to write down one thing about yourself that no one else knows. I want you to write one thing about yourself that no one knows, not even your besties, not even your spouse. I want you to write down one thing. Maybe it's a thought or an idea. Maybe it was something that happened. Um, uh, I, I just want you to write down one thing about yourself that no one else knows. I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. I won't ask you to share this with anyone else, so you don't have to worry about incriminating yourself. What's one thing about you, maybe something you've done, something you've said, something you've thought, that no one else knows? How are you doing? Some of you are thinking very hard. Some of you are like, I'm an open book. Everybody knows it. Liar. <laughs> What's one thing that no one else knows? It's an important question. We're going to come back to it. So whatever you write down, even if you need a few more seconds, go ahead. Write it down. Fold it over. Um, you don't have to share it or show it. Cover it up. That one thing that no one else knows is, uh, is going to be an important part of today's psalm. Psalm 139, sometimes we read the whole psalm, sometimes we look at it a piece at a time. Today, we're, I just want us to look at some sections of Psalm 139 together. Uh, there's, there's some pretty distinct moves or movements in this psalm, and so, so today's teaching is going to kind of be movement by movement. The first section in Psalm 139 is verses 1 through 6. Go ahead and put those on the screen. Here's what it says. The psalmist says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me. And follow me, you place your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Who knows you the best? Have you got that, uh, th those friends? Uh, have you got some friends that know you, like, like know you beyond just know you? Like there's lots of people that I know, but then there, there is a small handful of people who know me, like they know all my stuff, they know all my junk, they know all of my mistakes and failures. They've, they've kind of been there 
through all of the seasons of things. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your spouse who knows you the best. You know, and we celebrate this kind of knowing, this kind of relationship. Like, even in our culture, like, this idea of being known by someone else is really like the epitome of a relationship, right? Like, like we celebrate the fact that uh, we can finish each other's sentences. That's how well we know each other, right? Like, like, they know what I'm thinking even before I say it. You know who I'm talking about. Do you have that person in your life? The psalmist at the beginning of Psalm 139 is reminiscing about this, except for he's not speaking about a spouse or a friend, but he's talking about God. And it's a great explanation of an omniscient God. God who knows everything. Last uh, week we talked about creatures and there's 300,000 species of beetles in, in our world and God knows them all. In other parts of the Bible it says that God knows even the hairs on our head. That's easier for some of us than others. But the psalmist steps back and just kind of takes this this introspective look and realizes that that our existence is fully comprehended by God. God has total access. He has a backstage pass to your life and heart and mind and emotions and thoughts and feelings. And he knows the reason you feel the way that you feel or think the way you think. It says that he discerns us and sifts us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He surrounds us. He handles us. He knows us through and through at all levels. And at verse 6, as the psalmist is thinking about all of these ways that God knows us, he's in awe. And that's what he says at the very end of it. In verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to even, like, I don't even know how to think about all the ways that God knows me. It, it reminds me maybe of all the ways that God knows me. Is it, it reminds me of all of the things that maybe I do not know or can't comprehend. And it caused the psalmist to step back in wonder and awe. And that wonder and awe changes quickly in the next section. Look what it says in the next section in verses 7 through 12. He goes in awe of the wonder of God, and then he thinks, maybe God knowing me isn't so great after all. Look what he says. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, literally horizon to horizon, if I, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day and darkness and light are the same to you. It made me think of this experience I had. Uh, so I grew up as a student minister and I've been to every kind of student game, event, activity you could ever imagine. And 
we had some students when we lived and worked for a church in Florida that played soccer, and it was it was a pretty regular thing for us to go to the soccer stadium and watch uh, these students play soccer. And there was one uh, game that stands out in my mind as different from everyone else because it was at that game that we encountered, or, or I think at least for me, that was the first time I ever saw a streaker. Here, I've got a, a, an image to help you get the picture of this. That's actually Charlie Perret here at our church. I don't know if y'all, uh, just kidding. Have y'all seen the streaker phenomenon? Is this, is this new knowledge to anyone? All right, so if, if you did not know, there, there are some people that for whatever reason, have a desire to completely expose themselves, which I think is the only appropriate word, in, in a very, very, very public way. Um, this is an interesting phenomenon, and one I'm not recommending, by the way. Do not try this at home. Um, what kind of person thinks this is a good idea? Like, I have, I have lots of questions. Uh, and maybe if, if some of you have experimented with this phenomenon, maybe you can answer some of these for me. Um, like, <laughs> I have really good friends in, in this world who I would trust with everything, but I would not trust any of them to be my getaway driver. You know what I'm saying? Like, you wait there with the car ready for me. Like, that's just way too much opportunity for them to just, like, leave me literally exposed. And, like, like uh, I... It's a strange thing that, that streaking happens at, like, big events. Like, I've never seen a streaker at a church. You know, like, like that would be, like, really weird. And I don't know if you switch to an Adam and Eve sermon. I, like, I just, I wouldn't know what to do. But, like, even in, even in that picture, like, like, that's somebody's neighbor. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like somebody, when they see that picture or that guy run across the field or the stadium, there is somebody else going, hey, I know that guy. That's my lawyer. That's my dentist. That's my, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's my neighbor. And like, what do you do with that relationship now? You know, like I sit next to him every week at church. Like what? You know, like how do you, how do you, how do you do this? And, and so I think there are these peculiar people out there that, that crave it in some weird kind of mental health way. Um, they crave that kind of exposure. But it's so radical for us because most of us think that that, that kind of exposure is incredibly frightening. If I put you into a streaker situation, how would you feel? Like, terrified, right? Be terrified. And that's a little bit of the expression that comes out of the, these few verses in Psalm 139. The psalmist begins and says, God, you know me through and through. You know every part of me. Whew, that's pretty awesome. And then he goes, oh, maybe that's not so awesome. It can be disarming to be fully known. 
In verse 9, he says, If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, from horizon to horizon, the great span of the heavens, even if I try to hide in the dark, the darkness as if, as if it's light to you. Like, like it's great for God to know the things that I want God to know, but God knows all of the things that I don't want him to know also. Like he sees the invisible and penetrates the inaccessible. It, it's kind of an inescapable exam, examination. And, and man, that seems scary and intimidating and, and maybe even, even could be painful at times. Think about that thing that you wrote on your, your paper or typed into your phone this morning. That thing that no one else knows. That for whatever reason you have never shared or expressed with another person. God knows that. He knew it before you wrote it down. How does that make you feel? Anxious? I think that's maybe an appropriate feeling. Vulnerable? Like, I, I, I think all of us try to, to present the best versions of ourselves. Right, like that's kind of our goal. Like we would all say, hey, none of us are perfect, but, but like we actively try to present the best versions of ourselves. Like I would, I would be embarrassed for you to know some of my thoughts. Right? I would be embarrassed for you to see me run naked across the field. <laughs> I would be, you know... That, 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 that feeling of vulnerability. And like, we always project the best version of ourselves, but, but that means there's another version somewhere else, right? There's things that we struggle with and, and, and things in our past that maybe we're embarrassed of or, or we have skeletons in our closet. And I think part of the reason like, like we think of vulnerability as this, this scary thing is because our culture, like in the, our world, like we use vulnerability as a weapon, right? Like, like we've been taught to put on a, a good face and put on a smile and act like everything is okay all the time because if you show any vulnerability, it's seen as what? Weakness. And unfortunately, if you've maybe, maybe you've had this experience, uh, if you haven't, it likely will happen to you at some point. There may have been a point in time that you were vulnerable with someone else and they took advantage of your vulnerability. Maybe you have trusted some, some message or some thought or something you have done in confidence to someone else and they have spread it or shared it. And so uh, I think the expression of the psalmist in this section is, is entirely appropriate. His response is, I want to flee. How do I get away? I love, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with a, a poem by, by Francis Thompson. It's, it's a poem about the relentless pursuit of God, but it, it's named The Hound of Heaven. Like it's a great poem. You should go read it. It's about, it's about six pages long. But it's, uh, Francis Thompson is this guy who spends his whole life running from God. 
like constantly trying to get away and he tries everything. He tries drugs and alcohol and every addiction and promiscuity and, and all of these things. I'm going to get away from God, but he talks about this hound of heaven that relentlessly pursues him. When we become incredibly vulnerable, when all of our stuff is exposed, like we have this impulse to flee. Have you ever felt that impulse? Do you know people right now that are running from God? Well, the psalmist says, you can try to run. But there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Because God, the Lord of the angel armies, is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. All of us are enclosed in God's divine reality, like like diving into a swimming pool, like we're just engulfed. There is nothing that exists outside of him. And so the psalmist moves from this awe and wonder to this, ooh, anxious, unnerving vulnerability. He's initially alarmed about the knowledge of God, but then he quickly comes to, don't, don't miss this point, he quickly comes to comfort in God's knowledge. Look at what he says in the next section in verses 13 through 18. Where can I go? Where can I run? Where can I hide? There's nowhere for me to go. There's no escape. And then he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. He moves from awareness of knowledge to anxiety about God's knowledge to comfort. In verse five, he says, you place your hand of blessing on my head. In verse 10, he says, even there, your hand will guide me. In this exposed place, it it says that God reaches out for us like, like a parent placing a hand on a child. It's not a judgmental place at all. He, he, he approaches us despite knowing everything about us. He knows our leprous spots and still extends his hands of comfort to us. He touches us while we were still sinners. This familiarity and friendship with your spouse or those who have seen you at your best and worst is a relationship to be celebrated. And the same is true with God. God sees you, God knows you, God surrounds you, and yet he does not recoil from us, but reaches out to us. In verse 18, he goes on to say, and when I wake up, you are still with me. 
I get this picture of a of a child who has nightmares at night. Have how many of you have parents have spent a night in your in your child's bed, or they've spent a night in yours because of some fear that's there, and they wake up and what do they take comfort in? That you're there. And that's what the psalmist says. When when I wake up, you are still with me. He returns again to the omnipresence of God, that that God is everywhere. He's inescapable. And this source of anxiety just a few verses ago has now become a source of comfort. If you remember, what were Jesus' last words in Matthew? Remember, I am will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is incredibly good news for us, considering maybe what some of you wrote on your cards. Like maybe the reason you haven't shared that thing is because you're worried that it would create distance between you and someone else. Maybe you haven't shared that thing because you know it would create distance between you and God, but God is here bridging that distance. Maybe the thing you wrote down, the thing no one knows, is about an abortion. I need to tread lightly, and and I want you to know that I'm, I'm trying to use incredibly gentle words. Um... Abortion is such a hot topic in our, in our world, and um, I, I, I definitely don't want to overreach. Um, it's a tough thing to talk about personally for me because there have been a few times that uh, I've been incredibly close to the situation. I've been there when people have struggled with and questioned the decision to, to have an abortion or not. I've been there when some have chosen not to, and I've been there with the teenagers who have chosen to have an abortion. So it's a little bit difficult for me to talk just about like, like the issues. It, it's hard to separate the people from the issues. The, the issue always seems to center around, uh, if you look on media today, the issue always seems to center around, you know, when does life begin? You know, does it begin with a heartbeat? Does it begin with a birth? Does it begin with their first breath? Have you heard some of this stuff? You know, is this familiar to you? So, a couple of things. First off, I don't, I don't know that the psalmist is giving us some great insight into abortion, yes or no, or how we should think about it. But I think he does give us something of value, uh, if nothing else, a perspective. Look what he says in these verses. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
This is a beautiful language for those of you that are seamstresses or sewers or knitters or uh, weavers or crocheters. Like this is very vivid language, I, I would think, to you of, of physically creating something. And that's the picture we get of, of a God who is his somehow within you forming and shaping you. Uh, I, I don't know if we have any pregnant women here this morning, but the, but the imagery is, is very graphic and I think wholesome. It's God inside your tummy with needle and thread weaving and knitting you together. And I think maybe the insight, while maybe not the ultimate insight on this issue, but I, but I think the psalmist offers us some insight. And the insight is, is, is that birth is a, is a miracle for sure, but apparently so is conception. For the psalmist, a woman's womb, a pregnant woman, puts God's omnipotence on display. That means his ability to do anything and everything. Like, like what, what, what happens in there puts God on display. It's wonderful. That's what he says, Right? It's wonderful. Let's keep going. Verse 19 through 22. <laughs> the whole tone changes. If you know this psalm, like, like this is the part that nobody preaches. <laughs> um, this is the part that like, like is, is customarily omitted in, in liturgical areas and, and, and even theologically, theologians want to stay away from this. But, but man, I think, this, I think this fits so perfectly. But definite change of tone. Talks about how wonderful things are and how much God knows us. And now look what he says. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. All right, so at one sense, you see this zeal for God. Like, I don't, I don't know that this hatred, like, all of a sudden now he's hate, he's hating and avowing murder and all this kind of stuff. Like, like um I don't know that that's like directed towards anyone is what I would say is I, I would say that this is all about zeal for God. It's like, man, he wants to be so close to God that, that he doesn't want anything to do with, with people who willfully choose to be enemies of God, choosing, choosing their own will over God's own will. Like that's kind of the outward expected. But, but Adam's two cents on this is, the, is a, um, Shakespeare's Hamlet. You remember Hamlet? Well, uh, one of the one of the great lines out of the the play Hamlet. Go ahead and put it up there. I think you I think you know this. Thou doth protest too much. Have you heard this? It, it's a way of saying, hey, you you answered so strongly in in one sense. It's kind of making us think the opposite of you. Has that ever happened to you? Have your kids done this to you? Like my kids do this all the time. I'm like, no, it wasn't me. If they say it wasn't me six times, I know it was. What do I know? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know it was there. I know it's, you know what I'm saying? They, they protested too much, and I can't help but wonder if the psalmist is doing the same thing here. Right? 
revealing uh, about his own heart, about the truth of his inner self. He, he, I wonder if he's not giving himself away. In, in my own Bible, I wouldn't encourage you to like add or amend God's word, but in my own Bible, I, I, I wrote in my Bible, I know, but in verse 19 where he says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked, I wrote the words in me after that. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked in me. I don't think he's, he's kind of presuming righteousness, but, but he wakens to the reality that there may be wrong in himself. And all of a sudden he's facing what may be within him. And that brings us to the conclusion. Verses 23 and 24, you're probably the most familiar. You probably know them better than any of others. Remember all the moves. Wow, God, you know me. Ooh, I don't know if I'm okay with that. Okay, maybe I'm okay with that. Make sure I'm not like everyone else, but oh man, maybe I am. And then finally, he says, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of, what are those last two words? Everlasting life. This psalm is really a psalm of introspection. What the psalmist confesses to be the case at the beginning is sought in an appeal at the end. Remember at the beginning he says, you have searched me and you know me. And at the end he says, search me and know me. His initial address is the concluding request. And he says, I, I, I want you to know me so that you can lead me, right? So important. I, I, this thing that, that I know you're capable of, I, I now invite so you can lead me along the path of everlasting life. There, there is another path of the wicked who, who willfully choose their own way. That path always leads to death. But he says, I invite you to know me, to search me out, search my heart out so that you can lead me along the path of everlasting life. N.T. Wright, uh, about this psalm, says that it's possible to offer shallow comfort, but Psalm 139 offers us the deep kind. In just a few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of communion. It's something, uh, it's a part of our tradition, something we love to do as a church. And around the rooms, we have the elements of communion set up on the tables. Invite you to join us. On the tables are the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ. We believe broken for all of us, for all of humanity. And his blood poured out so that we might know him and receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life. So in just a moment, we're going to enter into that time and invite you to participate there. 
And as I send you to that space, I I just want to share one more passage of Scripture with you. It comes from Romans chapter 8. It's verses 31 uh, or, or 38 and 39. And I can't help but wonder if Paul was ruminating on Psalm 139 when he wrote these words. Listen to what he says. I'm convinced of this, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope and pray that this morning the Psalm 139 has has nurtured in you again, has awoken in you again the awareness of God. Do you know that he's here? That he fills this space? That he himself wonderfully made you. And that he wonderfully knows you. He knows that thing you wrote down and and why. And you can take comfort in that knowing. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this psalm, the deep, introspective psalm that it is. Awaken us again to your presence. Awaken us again to the reality of you in our everyday lives, in our thoughts, in our thinking, in our actions, in our emotions. Father God, give us again, nurture in us again the awareness of you. Father God, help us. um, God, I I confess, and maybe maybe some of us are here this morning who have tried to run and hide from you, have tried to somehow escape your 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 gaze or your grasp. Father God, let us let us repent of that attitude and come to you again to trust you again, not as the judgmental Father, but the loving Father who comes and surrounds us with love. Father God, help us and. To, to invite you, let us say the words as we enter into this time of communion, as we reflect on the, this psalm, Father God. Let us put the words of search me and know me in every heart, on every lip, Father God. Let us invite you so that you may lead us on the path of everlasting life. Father God, this intimate knowledge It's only possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we together and everyone together says...